My name is Jenna, and I was deep in this strange dream that seemed to involve me trying to podcast every single Animorph book. Book 22, The Solution. Believing Tobias to be dead, Axe gets Rachel and they track Tiger Jake to the mall. They battle with David, but both sides withdraw when the cops arrive. Rachel and Axe fly to Marco's house to inform him what's happened, only to find that David has acquired Marco and is waiting for them in his body. Rachel and David battle in the skies, but Tobias swoops in and breaks it up. David had killed a different red-tailed hawk. Meanwhile, Rachel and Jake's cousin Sadler has taken a turn for the worse. The family rushes over to the hospital and find him miraculously recovered, but the Animorphs know the truth. David is impersonating Sadler and will only go away if they give him the morph cube. The gang hatches a plan, telling David that they broke the cube up into pieces and hid them as rats. As planned, they trap David in a sturdy metal cage, and Rachel and Axe watch over him as he passes the two-hour limit. Stuck as a rat, they release him on an island, never to be heard from again. Hey, Brent. So you were right. <laughs> Je- Jenna was right. I never get tired of hearing you say that. <laughs> I want everybody to know that my my vote for what to name this episode was just Jenna is right. <laughs> and I said, everybody already knows that. that would be, it would be like naming this episode, Book 22, The Solution. Everyone knows. I still think during the last two books, my argument was legit. It's just during this one that he goes full supervillain and starts stalking them, where it becomes very obvious with what is presented in the text that he actually is a monster. Yes, I, I would agree. I think I think he's way more competent in this book than he has been up to this point. And I don't know if that means he's gotten some over, over some mental personal block that was keeping him from being just a full-blown monster, or I don't know what it is, but he's like way more on top of his shit in this book than he was in the first two. Yeah, like uh, when when he agrees to meet them, he insists that it be at like this crowded Taco Bell in the middle of the day. This is the same kid who two books ago gave out his fucking home address on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, to anyone. Well, specifically to Visor 3, but also just to the whole world. So yeah, like he seems to be a little bit savvier. Oh my also, god. Also, he's just like, he's ahead of them every step of the way in this book until the very end. I gotta interrupt you here and say that I really wish that they'd to catch a predator at Visser 3 when they knew <laughs> that he was going to come. You know, he'd bust in the house and his human morph and they'd be like, hey, how are you? Have a cookie. Take a seat over there. Is that Mike's Hard Lemonade for you? <laughs> I see you brought some balloons. <laughs> I see. Is, is that a Dracon beam in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> Maybe that's the episode title. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like that's, that is a good trap that they could set for Visor 3 at pretty much any time. It's, it's strange, though, to get back to this book. Uh, so, sorry for that digression. It's strange, though, you're right, that like they identify that he could be watching them. He could be spying on them at any time. And based on where he shows up and what he does in this book, it seems like that is indeed what he spends his entire time doing. What else does he have to do, though? Like, it's not like he has 
to go to school or go home. Like he's a missing, missing slash wanted child. Like he has no reason not to be on their asses all the time. Except that the more he's on their asses, the more he actually like has to have conflict with them. If he really, if he were to be taken at face value in the last couple books, he just wants to go on a crime spree and enjoy himself and like, (laughs) which he could do without the morph cube. Like he could do that. Yeah, but I mean, like he could. He could just peace out and, like, go do that if he really... There's something weirder going on here with him. It does seem like it's not just about wanting the cube. Although I do think that's mostly... Like, mostly he wants the cube so he can get some cronies who are going to do to him what he does to the Animorphs, as Rachel astutely points out. But it does seem like, to a certain extent, he's enjoying bullying them. Yeah, it's... It's weird. He does mention wanting to to get the Escafil device so he can make his own, like, Captain Pollution ring gang. (laughs) And then he also has some indication that maybe he's going to try and trade it for his parents to Visser 3, which I think even he knows isn't going to work. I think he knows that as well. He and Rachel have a lot of back and forths, and that's in one of them. But I I think he knows that that's not really an option. It's, It's weird because he... He has a lot of the same characteristics as Rachel, and she wrestles with that in this yeah, book. Like, a I lot. I wrestled with that, too. Rachel noted the same thing that you did in the last episode, where Jake specifically asked for her when he knew that uh, they might have to do something terrible. And, I mean, they're right. Jake was right. And she admits it. Yeah, if you need an Animorph killed, Rachel is who you would call. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, she, and she's, she feels real conflicted about this. She kind of hates Jake for knowing it. But she knows he isn't wrong. Yeah, she know she knows it's true, and this book really bears that out. And I think that's interesting because we've we've talked before about how they all seem to have their role, or or like they all have their aspect in the Animorphs group. And David struggled finding his place within that group. But I think it's interesting to see Rachel actually pretty conflicted about her role because I don't think we've seen that so far. You you asked last. I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before that, but you asked me if Rachel wasn't an Animorph, do I think that David could have slotted into that role without going nuts? And I mean, honestly, like in in the whole last book, the, one of the central conflicts was David not being able to follow Jake's orders. And like very early on in this book, Rachel just completely ignores his order to let Cassie finish morphing in the water and almost dies and everybody just sort of moves past it. So I feel like maybe they can only have one loose cannon who doesn't play by the book, but damn it, she gets results. And so like throwing another in the mix is just like, well, we can't, we already have Rachel. We can't have you too. You can't be doing that. Figure something else out. And that's true. Like you can't have more than one loose cannon in a group because then you're just firing cannonballs everywhere. I mean, that's not the worst plan that they'd ever come up with though. That's true. They are, they are guerrilla fighters. Yeah, maybe if they had a splinter cell, David could have been the Rachel in that. But I I think it comes up a lot. Like Rachel does struggle and I I think that they do have some core some core similarities. And and Rachel may, Rachel early in this book says that David is ruthless like her, but actually cowardly when it comes down to doing the hard thing. And I I think that might have been true for the first two books, but it certainly is not true in this book. So it's Interesting. You asked, uh, before we started recording, you said you had a note about uh, when when they're play acting, when they're ch- really chewing the scenery uh, to try and convince David that he's beat them in the Taco Bell. Uh, well, not e- even before the Taco Bell. They call Rachel the coward. Yeah, because I, I was trying to f- figure out why that was part 
And I think you actually touched on it earlier when you mentioned that it's not just that David wants the cube, he also wants to embarrass them. I think they're trying to play into that empowerment fantasy of David's by sort of shaming Rachel and making it seem like Rachel is the wrong one and David is the right one. So I think that that's the best interpretation I can get for why they lean on Rachel, you're a coward, mighty Xena, no more, that sort of thing. So when I read it, um, honestly, what I thought was going on is that David knows, right? He knows deep down that he's a coward, <laughs> that they were right about him. But because they're saying that to Rachel, they're, they're putting that on Rachel, he can tell himself, we're not really any different. And they were wrong to kick me out. And I'm like, oh. he's, he's not going to examine it any closer, because this is what I was thinking all along. And I feel way better now. I can definitely see that like he's projecting his desire to sort of fit in and the fact that he couldn't fit in. He's projecting that on Rachel. So, so hearing the group more or less confirm something that he's not necessarily fully aware of mm -hmm. lets him do that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I think David demonstrates a way more competent version of himself in this one. Because I think at almost every turn, not only is he far ahead of them, but they manage, like Rachel manages to survive their aerial battle because they got lucky. Because David killed a different red-tailed hawk, not Tobias. Yeah, when when David re reverse bird parachutes, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. that's what I choose to call it. No, that's right. He's 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 de-parachuting her. <sighs> but he like Tobias saves them, and and they seem to they seem to bank on the idea that David doesn't realize it's Tobias that saves her, which I think is a pretty big dice roll for them to make. But like it. It could have been Tobias that David killed. Although, I think if it had actually been Tobias, uh, he wouldn't have got ganked. Probably. Do you think... I think Tobias could beat him in aerial combat. But I also thought Rachel would be able to. Yeah. And that and is I, not what happened. I also thought Jake would be able to uh, as yeah. a tiger. But we see how that turned out. I think David is just having a streak of luck here. I mean, he's also, as you pointed out, he's got like a ton more morphs all of a sudden in this book. Yeah. Where the fuck is he getting all these morphs from? I do not know. He's waiting for them in the ocean as a killer whale. Like, he followed them out there and is just waiting for them? What? And that's also weird, because wouldn't, wouldn't you want them to stop all the world leaders from, like, regardless of your beef with the Animorphs, don't you want them to succeed? The weird thing is that I feel like this plan that they ended up going with, which is, you know, what we always call the Rachel plan, yeah. just rush in and crush everything. I feel like if they tried that first, he would have been on board. Because it's a good plan. Yeah, but but now, because because he feels that they've shunned him, he's, I guess, just sitting and waiting for them to get done and then attacking them with a killer whale that he got God knows where, because it's canon that they fucking blew up SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah, they did flood SeaWorld, so... Yeah, I have no idea where he would get a killer whale outside of SeaWorld. He also has, like, a rattlesnake and stuff. Yeah, where does he get the damn rattlesnake? I don't know, Brent. It's a little bit surprising. Then that's why that's why I'm like it's so crazy that he's so much more competent in this book. It's almost like he's an entirely different character in this book than in the previous two. I mean, it feels like KA has finally leaned into. I mean, she was never leaning away from the David is a villain thing. No, but it, it seems like she can finally let him be full villain. I feel like maybe they could have stretched it out a couple more books uh, to to ease the transition a little. It could have been a, a shade more subtle, but. 
they are they are books for kids teens yeah i guess it is young adult literature i'm being overly critical real quick let's talk about the most horrifying thing that david does in this book oh so sadler they the family gets a call that sadler is not long for this world they do not think he's going to make it and in between when they get that call and rush to the hospital and when they see sadler he's made a miraculous recovery not a scratch on him but Jake and Rachel, or Jake really quickly surmises that Sadler has morphed, or David has morphed Sadler and is taking his place. And the way they describe it is that the doctors, I think they doctors like wheeled him into an elevator and then all fell unconscious. And when they woke up, Sadler was perfectly fine. <laughs> what the fuck did David do with Sadler's body? That's a very good question. Uh, it's a very bad question. How did he knock out the doctors is another good question. A great one. Yeah, because they all seem to survive. But they were just unconscious. Do you think Sadler's body is just like on top of the elevator? Okay, that was one. <laughs> yes, that was one of the options I considered. The other option is really bad, Brent. That he ate him? That he ate him. I'm so glad you fucking went there, Brent. It's the obvious thing to do, uh, especially since he apparently has access to just a, an incredible amount of morphs. Seems like maybe David ate him. And Jake and Rachel pose the question but move along pretty quickly, which I think was probably the wise choice, but <laughs> that's not what this podcast is about. Yeah, they don't want to think about it too hard. But yeah, I think you're right. Cannibalism, especially knowing how often... <laughs> cannibalism and consuming of people comes up in these books i think he just did what viscer three hasn't been able to <laughs> and and given well given that it's david and he doesn't think killing a human that has morphed into another animal i assume that he if he morphs like a pig i don't know what would eat a whole person in in a short amount of time i assume that he thinks because he has morphed a different animal it's not cannibalism so it's all good it didn't sound like Sadler was doing great on the way up there, so yeah. it's possibly he was already dead when he got eaten, but I guess it doesn't really matter either way, does it? Mm, it's not great either way. Either way, there is a kid body that had to be disposed of, and there's no great way of getting rid of a kid body, Brent. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that his I, I don't kill humans, I only kill animals is like the flimsiest fig leaf, even for him. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, he's... By, yeah, by the end of this book, he's pretty much just all all in. So this is yet another instance, though, of, well, one, him thinking he's way smarter than he is, because his plan to, like, just be Sadler two hours at a time and go to the bathroom a lot isn't going to work very long, because his morph doesn't age. And that's going to be real fucking weird. Miracle Boy is six forever. or one. I, I don't remember how old <laughs> Sadler's supposed to be, but... No, he's like six or seven. That's a great... Fucking point. I can't believe I can't believe Jake and Rachel didn't. I mean, that's a pretty big plot hole because I mean, I guess he could make their lives hell for what's the what's the upper limit? If he's seven years old, mm -hmm. maybe like three or four years before it starts getting weird. I guess that's a pretty good good amount of time to make somebody's life hell. I don't know. I mean, it's weird if a seven-year-old hasn't grown out of their clothes in a year, right? Yeah, even even a miracle boy who has made uh, an unreal recovery from a pretty bad... I feel like Rachel uses a really horrifying metaphor, but maybe I'm mixing up something else I read. Was it raw beef over a cheese grater? Was that oh, something God. that happened in this book? It might have. I don't remember. <laughs> Is that just a really horrifying image I just gave everybody for free? <laughs> 
no, that's just hamburger. You just gave everybody a vision of hamburger for free. <laughs> Only it's kid body. But yeah, it, you make a great point. He would not age, and that would get real weird real quick. And it's yet another instance of him proving that for him, it's no longer about just like going back to a normal life, which sort of is what he indicated that he wanted in the first book, not as much in the second, he moved away from that into I want to go be a a super criminal, and just like fuck off and do whatever. And I still maintain they should just put him in Joe Bob Finester's place. But (laughs) if he actually had wanted to just go back to a normal life, he could have decided to become a Sadler Nothlet. And there's not much that the Animorphs could have done about it. Yeah, and then he would age normally, probably, uh-huh. we have to assume. Yeah, that would have been, if that's what he wanted, that would have been a solution. But that's... I mean, a horrifying solution, but but it's arguably not the arguably not the worst that it could have turned out, right? Yeah, I mean, Sadler's already gone. And this also raises questions because David's gone too, so that family's just going to come home. Or, or at one at one point, Sadler went to the bathroom and didn't come back, and they found a pile of his clothes in that bathroom, and that's it, and they'll never see him again. Miracle boy taken bodily to heaven. Or in a week, somebody will notice a smell and discover his body on top of an elevator in the hospital. You know, him being a Sadler nothlet would not even necessarily be... I mean, if, you, if we're right about him getting eaten, then he has a little Sadler in him, so... <laughs> It's like they have their kids still. Yeah, and apparently Sadler was a bit of an asshole, so David could have slotted right in. He'll fit right in. Apparently his older brother was a terror. Forrest, I think? I don't know, that whole family has weird names. Rachel does some very good acrobatic stunts. God, we've been waiting for this the entire series. <sighs> Absolutely. Like, because that's been, I mean, that has been hanging over. Her, her gymnastics ability has been a cloud over this entire series, <laughs> and it finally rained, and I'm loving it. Yeah, we both made independent notes when we were reading this book about, like, fucking finally, Rachel's gymnastic skills are an important plot point. Yeah, she escapes uh, Lion David in the in the mall doing some very good acrobatic stunts, which is just a relief. Now that it's happened, I hope it'll happen again, because I want that to happen all the time. But if it doesn't, you know, it happened the one time. <sighs> as long as we're talking about the mall, there's a pretty great little interlude in there that fits very much with our podcast canon which as we know is more canon than canon yeah that that all of the mid-level controllers know that the andalite <laughs> bandits are actually humans <laughs> she overhears some cops like a tiger in the middle of the mall there's no way that's not one of the quote-unquote andalite bandits and the other <laughs> one's like yeah but do you do you want to explain to viscer three why we let him get taken by the zoo and the other guy's like yeah good point maybe maybe we just didn't see anything <laughs> So yeah, because it fits in, it fits in 100% with everything we said about all of the controllers that are on the Earth mission, which is that they all hate Visor 3 and do not want to tangle with him. They all know that what Visor 3 doesn't know can't hurt them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was so pleased that that happened. Yeah, this book had the, the, the fact that this book had I think no other book has had as many layers of drama because they have like the Yerks uh, in infiltrating the World Leaders Summit. Then they have the second plot line, which is the internal Animorphs battle, both emotional and with David. And then they have all this real life stuff with Sadler. I thought that was that was it's definitely the most complex book I think we've gotten so far. Truly, it contains man versus self, man versus enemy, and man versus. Uh, ocean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that classic 
Yeah, the classic story structure, man versus ocean. Yeah, I think Hemingway came up with it. There's a lot of other really good scenes in this one, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of real great vignettes. Like when David in his Marco morph shows up in the cafeteria at school to like taunt them at their table. And when he gets up to leave, Rachel is like so angry that she follows him and Cassie's gonna stop her. But Jake's like, no, let her go. Because he knows that she's going to go like stomp his ass. And she does like jam a fork into the side of his head and threaten to kill his family. Which, yeah. I, let's be real, they probably are going to kill his family without even knowing it at some point, because they just mass murder human controllers all the time. Yeah, it's very likely to happen. I mean, that's exactly what she says. She says, like, maybe we come against your parents in combat. You know, who knows? Anything could happen. It, it's strange to me that Rachel didn't just beat the shit out of him, like, right there as humans, because let's be real, we know Rachel can take this dude in Marco's body. Yeah, absolutely. As proven by the previous book's uh, arm wrestling incident. I did want Rachel to just beat him down because they let, it's an opportunity and they just let him go. And then more horrible stuff happens. Uh, see our discussion about Sadler's body. Ugh. Like, it just gets worse. There's also a really good scene at the summit after I think Rachel busts through a room and there's... <laughs> <laughs> there's a world leader in i think like half a tuxedo who sees him come in and is just sort of like well that's america for you i guess because he's sloshed <laughs> right and like his bodyguards running with the rifle and she's like no 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 let's see what comrade elephant has to say <laughs> yeah 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 he just lets him go because like i mean what are you even gonna do really you're just gonna shoot some animals he's he's so delighted <laughs> that this thing has happened at this otherwise very boring summit. I really loved that. Right. He has he has a, a cocktail party conversation starter for the rest of his life. <laughs> and he probably doesn't have to do what is, I'm certain, a very boring summit. Oh, God, it sounds real boring. And obviously it worked so well, uh, given that there's now peace in the Middle East. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little darker than we normally get. Well, speaking of dark... dark and how dark we get. Let's talk about the end of this book, huh? Do we want to go there yet? Or is there more that we want to get to first? Did we talk about Rachel admitting that she's an adrenaline junkie? No, we should do that. There's the literal quote is the after action depression was starting to set in, which like, wow, sort of tells us a lot about why Rachel's always so fucking gung ho to get in a fight. <laughs> yeah, she even she struggles in this book with trying to figure out why she likes battle so much because she she knows that if if she hadn't been made an Animorph, she would probably just be a normal person going about her, her business. But she is an Animorph, and therefore she does have to do battle. But none of the others love battle quite the way that she does. So she's really struggling with it. And I think that's the key of why she likes battle so much is she's an adrenaline junkie. She likes the high. I don't know if it's Marco or Tobias in one of the previous books. I, I forget whose POV it was. But I remember one of them making an observation in their train of thought that Rachel really came into her own. It's like her life had been on pause waiting for this before she could really truly become herself. It seems like more than anyone, this has allowed Rachel to engage with a part of herself that was always there and is now finding release, which I think is also a really interesting counterpoint to David, and also sort of a, a really interesting gendered take on this dichotomy, because you have Rachel, who seems to have very similar instincts to David, but has been routed into things like fashion and acrobatics and uh, 
that that sort of competition. And David seems to be allowed to have leaned into it in some unfortunate ways. Cat named Megadeth, snake named Spawn. <laughs> First off, cat named Megadeth, snake named Spawn. Those aren't hobbies like gymnastics, but I'll, I'll let it slide. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, we don't know that David has any hobbies. He moves around a lot, so I can't imagine him being in any clubs. I think I recall him having like an airsoft pistol in the first book. So that's probably he's probably one of those tact cool nerds. Apologies. I'm, I'm sure any of our fans listening, we're not talking about you, but you know who we're talking about. You do. If you've played if you've played airsoft, you know exactly who we're talking about. The one who shows up in full camo, who is super into the military, but who has never signed up for the military. If you enjoy airsoft, we're not talking about you. I'm sure it's hella fun. I know paintball's fun. But then yep. there's that level of people who get very, very into the accessorization side of it. She does seem to have an addiction... It pretty pretty clearly called out. She likes the action. She likes how it makes her feel. And when they're in a post-battle situation, she crashes from the adrenaline high. Yeah. She call- She says that. I think now that we've established that Rachel uh, has some issues that she still has not quite resolved uh, by the end of this book, uh, let's, let's talk about the end of this book. Yeah, let's talk about the end of this book. The, the plan they have, I think, is pretty solid. It hinges on... David not knowing that Tobias is still alive, which is a really risky... Like, they've been play-acting that he's dead, but in in Rachel and David's battle, Tobias came to her rescue, so it, it was weird to me that they just sort of took for granted that David thought Tobias was still dead. Yeah, it, it is a big... It is... Uh, yeah, it's a roll of the dice, like you said. But their whole plan kind of hinges on that, because they there's this whole weird... It reminded me of like the, all of those logic puzzles where it's like you have a goat and a chicken and a bag of wheat and you have to get them all across the river, but you only have one boat. Did it, did it, did it not remind you of that? Because they, they all more, he, Rachel morphs rat and then he morphs rattlesnake and latches onto her and is like, I'm going to, I'm going to break her spine and eat her or whatever. Unless you all morph cockroaches and then they all morph cockroaches and he morphs back to human and they, he puts them all in a Coke bottle. <laughs> and then screws the lid shut and then goes to be a mile. It, like, it's just, it's just such a weird back and forth. It reminded me, and I, I like I like where both of our minds went on this, because it reminded <laughs> you of a classic logic puzzle, um, you know, taught as part of classes about things. And my mind went to uh, the old, like, Roberta Williams point-and-click adventure games, where you have to, like, in the right order, put the, the masking tape over the, the hole that the cat will run through, <laughs> and then scare the cat and then use it to make a fake mustache or something. And if you don't do everything in the exact right order at the exact right time, you just die. <laughs> Very, yeah. I mean, both pretty similar. <laughs> I'm really glad we came at that at different angles. It all seemed. <laughs> I think it, sa- it says a lot about us. Just as people, I think. So they do this quick time event. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, becomes shit. a And he... <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> and Rachel leads him on like a weird chase through the construction site tunnels. Meanwhile, Tobias goes and I don't think he even de- he doesn't even become human and just unscrew the cap. He claws it open with his red tail hawk claws <sighs> and they all escape and, and, and it works out fine. I mean, not for David, 
Right, right, because they've dug up part of the pipe that that she's leading him through and replaced it with a, a, a mouse trap, basically a steel uh, one of those no kill mouse traps. Because she's tricked him into get having them retrieve a Lego, yeah, uh, which is supposed to be which, part of the the blue box, the Escaville device. Yeah, which they do rub into his face as he's been caught, <laughs> which yes. seems a little inappropriate. Especially because they seem to think that they're taking a more they're taking a moral high ground by not just murdering him outright. Because they fly him out once he's anothlet, once he's stuck in this mouse body. They fly him out to this island in the middle of the ocean that has other rats living on it. So they're like, oh, I know there's food. Yeah, uh, it's a catch and release program. Rats live like two years. So yeah. they really have still killed him just as sure as if they'd like cut his throat or had Axe just stab him or put like an actual mouse trap in there instead of the catch and release mouse trap. They just decided to torture him first by leaving him alone in the body of a rat on an island with no one. A fact that is underlined by now there are legends about this <laughs> island being haunted because people, when people get too close on their boats, they can hear David thought speaking. No, no. Stay safe, Anamorph's ghost. I think that's a really good point. Like they are letting him live, but not a good life. Like Tobias has made a choice to be a Nothlet and stay a Nothlet. And he has some trouble with that, but he's he, it's a choice he's made and he's living it. Rats aren't going to live that long, even if he, even if that rat lives to its full lifespan. Yeah, e even if he dominates everybody else on that little island and becomes king of the rats with his own little rat kingdom where they build <laughs> little rat-sized human accoutrements in a, a, a small parody of human civilization, Shit. it's still, like, he's dead. In not that long, like you fucking kill them, own it. Like there's no, there's no way around that. Yeah, it's it's just weird that this is that that this makes them feel better than if they just killed them. To be fair, I I think it makes everybody but Rachel and Axe feel better because they're the ones who stay and listen to David cry and curse them and try to bargain and and do everything possible to avoid getting stuck in this rat body. Yeah. And even, even Axe says something like, uh, let's never talk about this again. Yeah, which is wild coming from Axe. <laughs> yeah. I think it makes everybody feel a little bit better except for Rachel and Axe. And again, like, Rachel's who you call when you have to get the really, really bad shit done. And she gets it done. I'm, I'm just really surprised that, like, out of all of them, Cassie has not thought through the implications of this. Or did, and then accepts it, but also can't, like to be the one carrying out the sentence like Rachel is. I'm I'm actually pretty surprised too because in other books when this sort of really tough decision is made R Cassie seems to want to be held accountable to it mm -hmm. in the way that Rachel is doing in this. So I, I do think it's a little that see that's part of why I I think maybe they haven't thought it through. I, they must have and maybe it's just part of their interesting and and arguably necessary self um preservation denial i think was what mm. i was gonna say because jake says we're not killers but like they're killers you've killed a yeah. lot guys like a lot and they they seem to be more conscious of it tobias fucking genocided the mercora yeah yeah that fuck jesus fuck mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're right brent yeah but just this one dude uh no that's too much instead we're gonna let him live a miserable, solitary confinement existence on this rock in the middle of the ocean until he dies of old age in two years. 
I, I mean, fuck. I hope that they just didn't think it through because that's real grim, even for these books. Ah, yeah, this is maybe, I was going to say this is the, the darkest point for the Animorphs, but you're right. Tobias does commit genocide. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, there's, there's no real way of softening that blow. He does choose to commit genocide. And the rest of them are just like, yeah, all right, you're fine. That was a call that you made that we support, I guess. <sighs> they were real broke up about that one bird that David murdered in the first uh, book of this trilogy, though. Wow. So that concludes the David trilogy. <sighs> Hell of a ride. I, I wish it had been longer. I kind of do, too. I, I think it, it was a really interesting new angle for these books. But also, I also I'm pretty certain I stopped reading after these books because it's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it is very fucked up. Uh, I mean, they... They were real well written, though. Um, as much as I complain about the characterization of David and the the weird heel turn, um, almost in in the third book, these were real fucking page turners. We both had to really <sighs> keep ourselves from reading ahead, uh, so that no we'd kidding. we'd be prepared for these podcasts, pure for you guys, <laughs> for for the fans. Yeah, we denied ourselves the satisfaction of reading them all at once because they're only about a hundred pages, and that's like a day. It's an afternoon. Longer if you're taking notes. But we're so fucking dedicated to this podcast and making sure that we give you the podcast experience you guys deserve. <laughs> uh, but I am glad it's over with now. Yeah, yeah. Time to move on back to their normal hijinks. Yeah, their normal, happy, upbeat, totally undowner hijinks. I believe the next book will definitely be a high note. Oh, yeah. Next book's a Tobias book. And you know those Tobias books got us grinning cheek to cheek. <laughs> Yes. Next book is book 23, The Pretender. So join us for that. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed our recap of the David trilogy and further hope that you've been enjoying the whole show so far. Uh, Lord knows we have. Yeah. Hit us up on the on the internet if you want to chat or give us comments or anything. We're on Twitter at Fandalites. Uh, our website is www.fandalites.com. Email address is Fandalites at Gmail. We have a Tumblr. It's Fandalites.tumblr.com. Jenna mostly runs the Tumblr. I don't think I've looked at that in a while. Is there anything good on there that we've been getting? Uh, I reblog some good stuff, but uh, I'm also a lot busier now than I was oh. when I started that Tumblr. Now that you're internet famous? Yeah, now that I'm on the internet and am famous, it's more <laughs> difficult to keep up with Tumblr. But I'm doing my best. I post reposted a very good picture of some Cinnabon leggings. Ooh. Yeah. So that's what the internet has for us. I bet Axe would try to eat those whole. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. We'll see you next week. And remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>